y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith American Podcast, Volume 10. I think I say it every week, it's hard to believe we've gotten through that many. We appreciate so much your loyalty and your passion for the project. Uh, we're, we're having a blast. And today's show was an extra bit of joy for me. As you guys know, uh, I'm a country music fanatic. I study its history. One of my favorite things to do while I'm stranded in airports or sitting on airplanes waiting for them to disembark is watch old country music videos. And one of my favorite songs of all time is Dust on the Bottle by David Lee Murphy. Uh, it is brilliant. It is timeless. It is still in heavy rotation on country radio even today all these years later. I'm not positive, but I think it was 25 years ago. 24, 25 years ago, uh, 1994 or so, when that thing became a phenomenon. And the gentleman who wrote that song all by himself and performed it and sang it so well, David Lee Murphy, is my guest today on the Marty Smith's America podcast. I love to talk to songwriters. I love to dive into their craft. I'm fascinated by how they do it. I don't know how they do it. I think it's the greatest talent. And I've had these conversations with several of my friends in Nashville who are renowned, wildly successful writers of number one songs. And it's so fun to dive into their minds and let them explain how they do what they do and why they take the approaches that they choose. And to have had the opportunity to spend 30 minutes with David Lee and ask him all of those questions, uh, as someone that I've admired since I was in high school, was just one of the thrills of my life. And if you love country music, I know many of you do, as much as I do, this is going to be enlightening and fascinating and just damn awesome. Before we get to David Lee Murphy, I want to introduce you to some friends of mine, and they're legitimately friends. Kalo Rings. Kalo is the functional wedding ring, and I know this because I wear it. I have worn it. I've worn it for a long time, and it's the only wedding band that I wear. They are designed to ensure your hands are safe and comfortable in the workplace, the gym, outdoors, and everywhere in between. I want to tell you how I started my relationship with Kalo. It was years ago when my boy Cody Wittick, who runs marketing for those guys, saw, I think it was on social media, saw that I was running a triathlon. Even though I'm an old man and my hair's turning gray, I'm really active I run marathons. I'm a triathlete. All of those types of things. I love endurance sports. And Cody saw this, and he contacted me and said, man, I'd love for you to try my rings. Of course, I said yes, and I've had it on my finger ever since. Unlike traditional metal wedding rings, which, guys, I know a lot of y'all hate them. Kalo rings are made from silicone, allowing you to keep your ring on in times where traditional metal wedding rings would need to be removed. And that's not just the dudes. It's the ladies, too, and I have first-hand knowledge of that, too. My wife, Lainey, when we go to the beach, Lainey takes off her diamonds and puts on Kalo for a couple of reasons. First, the potential to lose your diamonds. She doesn't want to lose them. I don't want her to lose them. The first paycheck I ever made out of college went to that engagement ring, so I don't want her losing that thing either. Yes, we've upgraded it since. Stop giving me grief. But... When we're going to the beach, she doesn't want her diamonds to get all gunked up and, and soiled by sand. And then there's the 
sunscreen. We're always lathering our kids up with sunscreen, and she doesn't want sunscreen all in her diamonds. Kalo is perfect for that. Kalo rings allow people to live their lives safely and comfortably while still representing their commitment to their spouse and to their family. Tons of NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball players wear these. Bryce Harper, Steph Curry, Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins, Harrison Barnes, Derek Carr, on and on. Mike Trout, Chris Bryant, country music icons, Jason Aldean and Sam Hunt, our heroes, our firefighters, police and military wear these rings. Guys, listen, if you're a carpenter, if you're in construction, maybe you're an electrician or a mechanic, Hundreds of professional athletes, Olympians, MMA fighters, CrossFitters, all these folks wear them. Trust me, they are perfect. And you can find the right style and you can find the right color for you. 18 different styles, 50 plus different colors. The one I'm currently wearing is gray and I love it because it has a black arrow emblazoned upon it. Go to Kalo.com and retail stores nationwide, including Academy Sports, Bass Pro Shops, REI and Dick Sporting Goods. And you can get them online from the comfort of your home. Kalo.com. That's Q-A-L-O.com. And use the promo code Marty for 15% off. Kalo.com. Promo code Marty for 15% off. I wear them. Laney wears them. All my boys are hitting me up all the time. Every one of my in-laws. Laney's got 900 siblings. They're hitting me up all the time. They are wonderful. They are for active lifestyles, and they're perfect for you. Now, what all of you guys have been waiting for, again, tremendous, tremendous insight. Here we are with David Lee Murphy. All right, y'all know my passion for country music. You know my passion for great songwriting. Some of y'all even know I've tried it and really suck at it. So it's the pleasure of my life to interview old boys like this one here, David Lee Murphy, uh, immense talent, immense vision, immense voice for guys like me. And, brother, as I said when we said hello, I've been a fan of yours damn near my whole life. You're one oh, of those man. artists that's, the, you know, the soundtrack of my youth. And I Love can't it. tell you how much I appreciate your time. Thank you, Marty. Thanks for having me. Well, we may as well get started with uh, what – most 40-year-old men from the South deem as one of the greatest country music songs of all time, Dust on the Bottle. How, <laughs> David Lee, how did that song impact your life and career? Oh, man, in huge, huge ways I can't even express. Um, that's one that it doesn't matter where I go. I mean, I can go I can go up to uh, northern Canada somewhere and play in a bar, and, and everybody's partying and and with me i go to australia it doesn't matter man that's just that's got to be one of those songs where you know it's just uh i guess it's just one of those identifiable songs we all pray for you know in our in our careers as singers and songwriters and it's really been great why is it still so popular even now i think it's just uh when we recorded it it was so raw you know it's just raw and it there's no tricks. Uh there's not there's not a whole lot of production. I remember one reviewer one time said it was uh uh hugely underproduced. You know, like at the time, you know, country there was a lot of strings and there's a lot of background vocals and, and that was just raw as could be. And uh it's just a simple song. It's got a it's got a you know, kind of power chord guitar progression. 
And uh, I think just a lot of people related to it, you know, just the whole story. I read that you wrote it in about 15 minutes. First of all, like what? Put me in that room. How'd that go? Yeah. Well, I was in my kitchen and I lived in Ashland City, Tennessee at the time. And we had literally just started on working on my first album, Out With a Bang. And the first day, uh, it was a Monday morning, we went in and we recorded Party Crowd, Out With a Bang, and uh, I think Can't Turn It Off, which was the first song on the album. Pretty good. Day. And uh, back in those days, we you would go in and you you had three you had three sessions, and you tried to get one song a session. You know, cut one song in three hours, and that's basically what we did. We cut one song, and we all those songs went down really fast, so we had time to goof around. You know, but I was really excited about uh, about all three of those songs. And at the time, I was living in a uh, like a two bedroom, ten roof house out in Ashland City, Tennessee. You know, population about three thousand at the time. And um, I had my uh, kitchen table. You know, my kitchen table set out in what was really like a little dining room. And I always had my guitar leaning up against the wall. And I just, I was sky high from the, the day before drinking coffee and sitting there. And I just picked up my guitar and just started playing that, you know, that opening guitar riff on, you know, Donna, 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 you know, that one. <laughs> Everybody knows and, that uh, one, bro. Yeah. And uh, I just, I, I just started singing the title, a title that I had in my head. Uh, might be a little dust on the bottle, you know, and don't let it fool you about what's inside. Might be a little dust on the bottle. It's one of those things that gets sweeter with time. And uh, the story fell out. It was about an old guy that I knew who actually made homemade wine named Creole Williams. And uh, he popped into my head as soon as I started writing that song, and and, and it just fell out. And um, And we cut that song two days later. I, I actually, that's when they had the old, uh, you know, the phone cords that would stretch like 25 feet, you know. And I stretched the, the my phone was on my wall in my kitchen. I stretched it over there to my table and I played the song that I had just written to Tony Brown, who was my producer at the time. And I said, man, check this song. I know we got all the songs picked for this record, but I just wrote this song this morning. And he said, man, we got to cut it. And so... Uh, I think Tuesday we had our, that day, that was Tuesday and on Wednesday we recorded it and, uh, and it, you can still hear my fingers squeaking on the screen, strings on that one. I, I don't think they do that anymore either. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was magic. It was magic. So Creole was a real life character? Yeah, he was. He, he was a character, man. That dude, uh, he was best friends with a cousin of mine and, uh, it was my mom's sister's son, and uh, he was quite a bit older than me. But his name was Rojo, and Creole Williams. They were two two total pieces of work, and uh, and that's who that that's who the Creole Williams was. When did you know that song was different, special? Well, I think I I think I knew right when I started writing it because when when it hits you like that you know something special and uh, I knew it I just knew it and uh, that's why I picked up the phone and called Tony that morning it's just I, I just 
you write so many songs and I've written a bunch of them and I've had some, some that were good and some that were not so good, you know? And, um, that when, when you just get those that, that just feel like they're magic, you just kind of, you just kind of feel it. And that one I, I felt. Well, we've been feeling it for 20, whatever years, brother. It's, uh, I mean, it's still that one that when it hits that radio, or the Pandora, or your own playlist, you reach over and crank it, even now. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate that. That whole Out With A Bang record was elite. You know, Out With A Bang, great song. Fish Ain't Biting, great song. Party Crowd, great song. On and on. What What are your thoughts about that era in the country format? It might be nostalgia for me, but it's probably my favorite era ever. It was, man. It was it was a fun time, too, because there were so many bars. There were so many places to play. And, you know, country had, country's gone through different uh, phases of popularity. You know, there was, you know, the outlaw period, which I, I love the outlaw days, too. Waylon and Willie and Hank Jr. All those guys were my heroes, still are, and Haggard and... Uh, that I really learned from that, those guys, and then then I was a big fan of, of all the Southern rock bands too: Skinner, Marshall Tucker, Charlie Daniels, of course the Almond Brothers, all that stuff, and and all that stuff is a combination of 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 my musical, you know, background. The '90s was um, a lot of the guys in the '90s: Brooks and Dunn, of course Alan Jackson, Garth Brooks. Clint Black, all those guys, there was just this resurgence, this energy, uh, this creative thing that just happened in the 90s with so many different uh, influences and and guys that just, it it was just a fun, it was a fun time. I'm really, I feel fortunate that I got to be a part of that time period. You noted your appreciation for Haggard and Jennings and Cash and Willie and that whole outlaw movement. Waylon's one of my greatest heroes as well. And you actually wrote with Waylon Jennings. I, I did. Want, I, I love Waylon. My God. I When I read that, I went, oh, I need that story. How'd that put, put yeah. me in that room too? What was that like? Well, the way, the way I got – I first met Waylon one night at an award show at, out at, uh, you know, it was like one of those CMA award deals or something like that. And I, and the out of the uh, highwaymen were there that night. And, uh, and I was out there for some like new artist or something like that. And man, I was a huge Waylon, Willie, Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash. I mean, those were my extreme heroes and uh, it's still like my wife measures everything. Well, you know, if it's not as good as Mama tried, or <laughs> you know, if it's not up there in that area, you know, it's just not. It's okay. It that ain't easy but, to reach, brother. Yeah, it's like uh, you say. You, you know, you're a new quarterback. Well, you're. You, you know, it's not. You know, it's not Johnny Unitas. It's not. <laughs> you know, it's not Joe Montana. But anyway. Um, just uh, those guys. Uh, the first night I met Waylon, I remember she and I were standing backstage, and and Waylon came up, and and uh, I, I I was always just enamored with Waylon, and and he came up and he goes, 
she definitely got the uh, – he goes, you definitely got the better end out of this deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he looked at me and he looked at her and he goes, you definitely got the better end out of this deal. And uh, that was it, man. We From then on, we were – we were friends and um and that was probably that was probably late nineties and then we did a commercial for a radio station in Nashville at the time and it was they were doing a thing like uh New Country and the best of the legends. And I was the new country guy and he was the best of the legends. And uh we got to talking and I was just talking about a lot of those old Waylon records that I loved, like uh, Lonesome Henry and Mean and Ramblin' Man and This Time and just go down all the Waylon, great Rainy Day Woman, just all those, my favorite Waylon songs, you know. And uh, I was talking to him about how they, you know, recorded guitar parts and, you know, we were talking about, you know, electric guitar parts and you know, he and he he could tell I, I was sincerely a fan of his music. And after you know a few different you know times of getting together, we ended up writing probably four songs together, and uh, just had uh, a great time. Uh, you know, there's times I remember Waylon would call up like five calls and hey, what you doing? And I'm like, hey, I'm sitting around out here because you, y'all won't go eat barbecue tonight and yeah we did i mean my my wife and i i think our first date i snuck her into a whaling concert we snuck between a chain link fence and a telephone pole in Ducoin, illinois and snuck into a uh, southern illinois we snuck into a little uh fair out there where whaling was playing and uh just man we we listened to whaling and willie and all that music it was like a soundtrack you know for you know, for all those summers. And, um, but anyway, that's how we got to be uh, friends and, and then writing songs with, you know, one of your heroes. It's, it's, it was amazing. I just can't imagine. I've read every book there is to read on him because he's, he's, uh, he's almost like a ghost. Like for me, he's not, he's so bigger than life because I never did get the chance. I've, I've had the blessing. I've met more people than I could ever begin to dream. I have had the opportunity to spend time and learn about the lives of, like yourself, that I never could have dreamed. That's one I didn't get. And I would have loved and he it. Was, he was the best. I mean, he was the best guy, too. I mean, he was, he was, I would go over there, and he had, he had uh, memorabilia in his house from, you know, uh, you know, he, he was friends with people that you wouldn't even expect to, you know, somebody to be friends with a country singer. You know, he was friends with Muhammad Ali, you know, and uh, John Lennon and, you know, just people you, that you would not expect, you know, a country singer. But he, man, that dude was a legend. And he was as, you know, you, you hear all these uh, stories about these guys and stuff. and But he was a, a great person. I mean, he's like, man, what, what, can, what do you need? You know, if you came over there, uh, they was like every time I went over there, uh, uh, um, somebody over there made a taco salad that I liked, and every time I went over there, Waylon goes, "We're gonna fix that taco salad for you today." And I go, oh, "Man, I love that taco salad." I mean, that's just the way he was. You know, he was a great guy. I tell you what, son, that's uh, that's it. 
if if I could have written down on paper what I hope this interview would be, you just put it right there on a tee for me. I know we can shift gears. Uh, I know you have a brand new record out right now, no zip code. Y'all go buy it. First singles with Chesney, huh? Everything's going to be yeah. all right. Laney and I, my wife and I just went and saw Chesney a few nights ago. My liver's still on strike. Uh, <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to be. It is. Uh, he has that effect on people. I am, I am intrigued though and curious. After such a long recording hiatus, why was it important for you to get back in the artist game? Well, let's go. Let's, we'll go back and blame that one on Kenny too. Cause, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I have written a bunch of songs for Kenny over the years and, uh, we had gotten to be friends from back in the nineties. You know, we, 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 you, you play, uh, shows around the country and fairs and different, you know, different things. And, uh, you cross paths with people. And, uh, uh, I, I'll say back in about 2006, maybe 2005, he, he recorded a song I called just not today for one of his albums and, and man i was i was tickled to death that kenny recorded that song because i loved it and uh i i i wasn't recording at the time i didn't have a, a deal and then like a year later he cut a song i called living in fast forward and uh open the show with it the other bit. night brother he did yep. well he's i tell you what man he 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 he's got such a great show man it's high energy and uh <clears throat> anyway he's recorded a bunch of my songs and and uh and we would talk every now and then and we'd written a bunch of songs together on his last album we wrote uh Floribama and Beer Can Chicken and uh I can't even remember what else we've written I mean we've written a bunch of songs and I'm about half brain dead so I can't even tell you the ones we've written but uh he called up one that, night I know I you wrote you wrote Till It's Gone. I know you wrote Pirate sure. Flag. I know you wrote yeah. Living in Fast Forward. You, I mean, you've written a ton of his songs. Bar at the End of the World. Yep. Uh, Live a Little. But uh, he called me up one night. I was actually sitting out, in, out on my back porch, and I was grilling and drinking beer sitting out there. And uh, he goes, and I had sent him two or three songs and one of the songs I sent was I Won't Be Sorry which is on my album which is just rocking ends up like I, I call it it's like a free bird outro but um, he called me up that night he goes man he goes you keep sending me songs he goes what would you think about me and you and Buddy Cannon going in and recording some songs he goes when was the last time you had a record out and I was like well 2004 2005 something like that he goes man let's go in he goes we can take our time and go in the studio pick out whatever we want to do and just have fun make an album and uh man that was the perfect that was the perfect situation to come back and make another album you know with uh, somebody that's that really likes what you do and it's not uh no pressure no stress and we 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 did this over about a year and a half, maybe. Of course, I mean he's out there doing, uh, you know, his his concerts like where you you guys were the other night, and uh, and then he's doing stadiums and you know, 
he's a busy guy. So he, he fit in his schedule to go in and, and record this record of my songs. And, uh, man, we had a ball and, uh, we just, hopefully that translate when you, when you, when you listen to it, but we just, we had a hell of a time, you know, making the album and I'm really proud of it. Uh, now, I, I'm inferring maybe you didn't have the choice, but I've always wondered why you stopped recording in the first place. Well, I mean, I could have, I could have kept going, you know, making records. Uh, you, you know, there's just a, there, you just reach a time where you go, all right. Uh, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm going to start writing songs. I'm going to stay home. You know, I'm just going to stay home and write songs. And and I had a pretty successful you know, life of living out here at my farm. I live south of Nashville, and uh, there's something to be said about writing songs every day as opposed to having to deal with, you know, a lot of the other stuff that you have to deal with. And uh, that was just kind of a conscious decision. I mean, I had had opportunities to make records, and my last one was with, uh, with an independent label, and we had Loco, which went, Mm-hmm. Top, I think it was top. I think it was five for five weeks, in about oh four oh five, and um, so we just we just pretty much just. I mean, after that, living it uh, fast forward came out, and then I started having other songs recorded by other artists, and uh, I just I just fell into the songwriter world and had a hell of a time doing it. I mean, I I still love writing songs, and uh, have songs out there right now by other artists so it's it's just fun man i just making music it's just fun to make music it always fascinates me talking to songwriters i'm very close with casey bethard i know luke laird pretty well um so some of those guys who've done pretty well in town uh i have pretty close relationships with and they kind of say the same thing you do man i can sit there and i can focus on my craft and i can still go to my kids ball game you know, like yeah, it's, uh, and Casey's like the he's like the parent of all shit. time, of you know of managing kids' uh, sporting careers and music careers and everything else. I mean, we're I'm a really good friend of Casey's too, and um, we were at a birthday party a few nights ago with at one of our other friends, and uh, he's just a he's a a great person and a perfect example of somebody that he he could have been a star you know he could have been a country star himself and uh he just made a conscious decision to say oh well i'm just gonna write songs mm-hmm. and he's really good at it my gracious is he good he's at fantastic it. yeah and he's I a want, great singer he's a great singer uh yeah i mean if you hear his demos if you hear the demos or the songs that he wrote that he demoed and then ships to artists to cut you would be floored guys if you heard Casey sing them like the first time I ever heard Jack Daniels it was Casey the Eric Church's song it was Casey yeah and you just go golly first time I ever heard like Jesus does it was Casey Mm -hmm. you know so you just yeah he's a tremendous talent and I want to list here guys you guys have heard David Lee talking about songs he cut for Chesney I just want to run down a couple songs here that he's written for other artists all right we, we discussed Living in Fast Forward, Pirate Flag, Till It's Gone, all the others that he wrote for Kenny. He wrote Anywhere With You for Jake Owen, Big Green Tra- uh, Tractor, Big Green Tractor for Jason Aldean, a Marty Smith America podcast alumnus. Only Way I Know for Aldean Chief and Luke, 
Always a love songs for Eli Young Band. Good one coming on for Blackberry Smoke. And what is probably my favorite of the whole lot, way out here for Josh Thompson, the title track of yeah. Josh's record. Josh is a beast, too, now. He's a total beast, right? Oh, he is. Um, sure what's is. the best song you've ever written? Which one Which Man, one for you is the I, one? It's hard, it's hard to say The what's the best song because it's so uh, – I guess subjective, you know, it's just hard to say. Uh, I mean, I, I would almost have to say dust on the bottle because, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's gotten the most mileage on it, but there's other songs that I've got that I'm proud of that, you know, nobody's ever heard. There's a song on my new album called voice or reason that I really like. And it's just, uh, it's almost back in that old uh, Bakersfield uh, vein, you know. It's got, it's got that kind of haggard. Uh, it's got the haggard kind of uh, sensibility to it, you know. It's just, uh, it's got a little quirkiness to it, but it's also got the lyric that's, that's just those kind of lyrics that I like from those guys, you know. But it's just hard. It's hard to say what my, what my, what I think is my best song because. I just don't know what that is. Yeah, they're all pretty personal. I understand. You know, you're invested so dramatically in all of them that it's like picking a kid. Who uh, who taught you the most as a writer, and who taught you the most as a performer? Man, there's so many. I I try to learn something from everybody I write with every time I write. Um, you know, it's it's it's. Gosh, I don't know, man. I, I've written with so many great writers. I, I know I learned a lot about singing from people like, and just watching Waylon. You know, I think I think what you learn the most when you're a singer is just be yourself, and don't don't. Uh, I mean, I think when the true uh, whatever you are inside comes out, and eventually it's like you're not holding back, and you're not trying to be something else, and you're not trying to sing like somebody else I got I mean a great singer that I learned a whole heck of a lot from was Dobie Gray mm-hmm. uh who did Drift Away and and uh he was managed by the same guy that managed me Doug Casmus back in the day and Doug managed uh he worked for uh Joe Sullivan and Charlie Daniels had a company called Sound 70 in Nashville so so my first initial contact with the music business people was that that crew of people and it was Charlie and Dickie Betts and Dobie Gray and but I learned a whole lot from from Dobie and I learned a lot from Dickie too back in you know the day he just was he was such a great guy and uh, they're just so up man I've 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 had influence from from so many people that it's just hard for me to say one because I, I probably tried to learn something from all of them yeah, I couldn't answer that either. It's an impossible question that I like to ask some people. It's just the it's funny our paths our paths are influenced by so many people that turn a certain directions and to your point about when whatever you are actually comes out, the people that ultimately teach us to be vulnerable. Vulnerability in as a writer, as a performer in in my, you know, when you're on TV, whatever. If you're willing to be vulnerable, then there's authenticity that follows. And 
Yeah, that's true. I agree it's, with that. It's wonderful. Uh, I'll ask you a couple more, and I'll get you out of here, brother. How would you describe the challenge of making it in Nashville? Um, man, it's 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 hard. It's like to make it as a a country singer is like saying I'm gonna go be a, a quarterback in the NFL, or I'm gonna be a uh, a starting pitcher in the major leagues or, you know, it's, it's just a there's so many people and there's so many good people. But on top of that, like there's different rules that don't even apply. There's rules that kind of get made up every day that, you know, that don't really, it's not like you can just line them up and race them. You know, it, it it's not like that. It's a whole, di- the music business is just a whole different thing. And uh, it's got, its own set of rules and they change every day. Um, so it's just a tough, you gotta be crazy. That's what I say. <laughs> you gotta be crazy to get into the music business and you gotta be crazy enough to be crazy enough to think that you can make it, you know? And that's what I tell people. If you want to really do it, you just got to gamble your entire future on it because to do it, you've got to be crazy enough to think at those odds that you can make it. How many times you get told no? Oh, hell, man. I, I got told no by everybody in town like a thousand times. You know, it's like I told one one new artist, it's like I stood in the corner and got my brains pounded out for about 10 years, you know, uh, before, you know, I had any success at all. Well, I did. I had a few songs recorded by people. A Reba cut a song of mine in 84 or 85, and, and I thought I was off and running, and nothing else happened until, like, 90, you know. How do you stay? So, how do you maintain drive? How, I, crazy. I mean, yeah, you got to be dumb. Crazy. Got to be, be crazy. Yeah. I mean, you you just got to go, I still think I can do it. I still think I can do it and just keep doing it and you know, there's, I mean, how many guys have come to this town? And Casey Beathard was an example of a guy. He, um, Eric Church was a guy. Uh, so many guys uh, that I've known. Jason, you know, Al Bean, I remember him coming to town. And, you know, so many people, so many. I mean, all the people that you see that are successful now, they had to put the time in. You know, they had to put that time in and, you know, every now and then somebody will sneak through there that didn't really have to, you know, go through all the, you know, hoops. But it's very rare. Most most of the time you had to get in there and slug it out with everybody else. I don't even know how to thank you, man. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, man, it was my pleasure. I enjoyed it. As you guys heard there, Waylon Jennings is one of the greatest heroes of my life. Him and Cash and Willie and Chris and the whole Highwaymen outlaw movement is so fascinating to me. It's mysterious and it's awesome and it's something that, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and I are buddies and we all, we kind of feel like we were born an era too early or too late, excuse me, that we would have fit in really well in the seventies with those guys. But, so to hear David Lee, who has firsthand knowledge and, and personal time and intimate time with Waylon Jennings, hey, man, we're going to make you that taco salad. I mean, you kidding me? It doesn't get 
more rich than that. That's as rich as it gets for me. So thank you so much to him for his time. It was wonderful. What'd you think? All right, Marty, do you know who knocked off, dust off the bottle? George Strait, check yes or no. Oh, naturally. All right. 1994, right? So 1994. Do you know who number one was before David Lee Murphy? Garth Brooks. She's every woman. (laughs) Not bad company, David Lee. Not bad company. By the way, I do love that Garth Brooks song. I mean, it's wonderful. She's sun and rain. She's fire and ice. I shouldn't sing, but I love that song. So hold on now. So check yes or no knocks David Lee, knocks dust on the bottle from the number one spot. So that is fitting. That is apropos that King George, that the king knocks David Lee from the country music charts throne. He had 50 number ones in about 2002. How many does he have now? He had 61 number one hits in his career. 61 number one songs. King, I think you're doing all right, brother. I think you're going to make it. I think you're going to be able to feed the family, bro. You think he's worried about the next paycheck coming through? I don't. I don't think he's worried about the next paycheck. Did I ever tell you, I don't know if I've ever told you the story. George Strait once poured me a shot of tequila. I was, uh so uh, maybe that should be the Marty party. All right. Let's just transition right to the Marty party. What are we going to do, bud? We're going to drink one of these beers. Hand me one of them damn beers real quick. What's up, man? Marty party. So, in 2014, it was January of 2014, and Eric Church, uh, who has, is, is a really good buddy of mine, he's one of my best friends, another humble brag. So Eric opened at the Sprint Center in Kansas City for King George Strait, and it was outrageously amazing. Eric played by himself. There were four microphones set up on this circular stage, and Eric had guitars stationed at each one of those microphones and so he would play a song and then he would move on to the next microphone so he would be facing a different part of the arena for each song it was fascinating and that's so that's the way king george's stage was set up and so eric plays and it was the greatest i mean i've probably seen him play a hundred times i don't know laney and i've seen a bunch of shows and it was maybe the best one I don't know. It was way up there. And so that was awesome. And then it was the first time that I have ever watched a show with Eric. So we're watching this show. We're watching King George play. Eric sat there and watched the show. And so he's like, all right, man, I got to go. And he, uh, my buddy Taylor Zarzer, who is, uh, has a show with Greg McElroy on Sirius XM every morning, seven to 10. The first team on Sirius XM. Taylor's like a brother to me too. And so Taylor and I are sitting there and Eric says, Hey, y'all stand right here. Um, I got to go for a minute, but don't be right back here in just like after these couple songs because we're going to go hang out over here a minute. Okay. So we don't move. He walks directly to the stage and plays Cowboys like us with George Strait. It was ridiculous. It was completely ridiculous. So. They get done, and out of nowhere, Eric and King George Strait show up, and George Strait is pouring shots for the whole crew. He does it, I guess, at every show. So I get handed this tequila shot from George Strait, and I look over at my buddies. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? 
And off we go. We fire down these tequila shots with King George straight. And I just sat there awestruck. Just, I mean, just the most normal dude. I just sat there completely awestruck that King George has just poured me this shot. And I look, I'm high-fiving people. I don't care. I couldn't give, I couldn't give less of a damn what anybody thought about how I was feeling at that moment. I've admired George Strait in 1981, I think. Travis, you could research this. In 1981, George Strait released Love Without End, Amen. He has had all of those number one songs. Cowboys Like Us is one of those favorites of mine. I Can Still Make Cheyenne is absolutely wonderful. It's hauntingly sad about a man who cannot shake the passion and sacrificed everything for the passion. And, you know, Clear Blue Sky, on and on and on. I could go on forever. But Love Without End Amen is my favorite song from King George Strait. It reminds me of my daddy. And when things remind me of my father, they stick with me. And I I hope someday, I hope some. I've never met him. I, even though he poured me a shot, I didn't meet him. If I ever get the chance to meet him, I'm going to try to articulate to him what that song means to me. Because it's very special. And if you listen to what it's saying, if you listen to the lessons learned, you know, you're a little boy and you get in a fight at school and you come home and you're expecting to get your butt beat by your daddy because you got out of line and your daddy just grins and says, man, we've been there. And you think about all that you've done wrong in your life and the many mistakes you've made and the things that you want back and that you would love to do differently and try again people that you've hurt, bad decisions that you have made. You want them over, and then you go face St. Peter at the pearly gates, and you think, my goodness, if he knows all the things that I've done, I got no shot. I got no shot to get through there. I got no shot to go sit at the throne of the Lord. But guess what? They were flawed too, and they've known our flaws. And I just I marvel at the song. I marvel that Aaron Barker and Irv Woolsey had that vision all those years ago. Um, I just can't, I can't even believe it. What year was it cut? He recorded the song in 1990, a little off in your timing. Thought it was a little older than that. Check this, Marty. From 86 to 89, he had 11 hits that went number one. It's just, it's just, it's just, I, I don't even know what to say. I, I can't. I can't understand that level of of success. I... All right, you drank with George Strait. If you could pick one person, living or dead, that you could drink with, who would that be? Waylon. It would be Waylon Jennings. I, again. What would your choice of liquor be? It would have to be Jack Daniels, just out of principle. Um, look, if you want to, if you guys are country music fans and certainly fans of those artists that shaped the industry and were just crazy enough to go their own way regardless of what was supposed to be popular 
go study those guys like Waylon and Cash. And people people hear Johnny Cash and they think, oh, man, you don't understand the hardships. You don't understand. If you don't know Johnny Cash's story and what he had to overcome, much of which was self-inflicted, but it's really fascinating. And I love Johnny Cash. I loved studying Johnny Cash because he's a larger-than-life character who gave not two dams about the establishment, but he was flawed, and he knew he was flawed, but at the same time, his compass was always extremely focused on what he knew was right. Even when he couldn't, even when he couldn't sometimes be that man, he always he strived so hard to follow his faith uh, even when sometimes he was, he struggled to be that guy. And it's a microcosm of how hard we all try, even though we're all flawed. And I find that to be wonderful. Um, I, I just, uh, I love that era. I admire those men so much. And God, I'd love to sit down with Willie Nelson one time. All right, we talked about this on Marty McGee before and even played the song. People need to listen to the highwaymen and their lyrics. Oh, it's the dude, the very, the very last lines of that song are some of the most brilliant words ever put to music in the history of music. Um, it, uh, it's absolutely mind blowing. If you sit there and process, I may be a single drop of rain. But I will remain, and I will be back again, and again, and again, and again. Just process that. It's brilliance. It's utter brilliance. We're going to take a a complete 180, and we're going to run the other direction from brilliance, and we're going to go to the Hillbilly Hotline, which this week is a very unique take on the impact of the Marty Smith America podcast. Words, sayings, or just a way of life? Roman candles? That's a redneck mortar launcher. That's what that is. (laughs) This is Hillbillyisms. Marty, Jeff here. Hope I don't offend you, but recently I was on vacation. I went to Fiji, and I listened to you your podcast every week. And I'm out at the pool at this resort, looking out over the ocean. And these fellas from Australia come up to me and said, that sounds interesting. What are you listening to? I said, oh, this is just a show about stupid things that rednecks do. And these old boys from Sydney asked me, well, what exactly is a redneck? And so I pulled up some more of your podcasts. We listened to them. Then I showed them your Twitter feed some of your photos and I said that's a redneck and they said my goodness that bloke would be a friend of ours so you have some old boys from Sydney that are fans of yours now listening to your podcast weekly hope you didn't mind see you not hope you don't mind I mean you can't ask for better marketing than that son we're worldwide Travis you know a lot of people lately have been questioning your redneck status but this guy Marty this guy here is saying that you epitomize rednecks. 
they don't know about the redneck status, man. They just don't know. They don't know. They think that, look, man, I know, I know sometimes when you see me in a suit on TV, maybe that's not redneck. Well, you have been to the Derby and the Preakness lately, so they might be questioning it because of where you're at and what you're wearing. See me in the seersucker with the nice, and my wife looking like a smoke show. And you can't, you know, people are like, man, he ain't no redneck. Y'all don't know, man. Trust me. All right, here's a test for you. Do you know the number that he called in on? Um, one, all right, here, here's the Hillbilly Hotline. 1-860-315. No, 860-516-1315. 860-516-1315. Good try, though, Marty. I was close. Um, I, look. I want the Marty Smith's America podcast to be exactly what it was with David Lee Murphy. I want it to be interesting and enlightening and open people up that I have long admired and that I know a lot of people who listen admire. So I cannot believe it. Uh, little Marty never would have believed. I texted my buddies. I have, uh, I keep in touch with a lot of my friends from home. Three of which, uh, we have a text string and they love 90s country as much as I do. And I sent them a text last evening and I said, you're not going to believe this, man. I got a text from David Lee Murphy and all of them wrote back the same thing, man. What WTF? They can't believe it either. They're like, Oh, you got to interview who Nick Saban, man. That's awesome. I tell them I interviewed David Lee Murphy and they about wrecked their trucks. It's just awesome. And. Again, one of the joys of my life. So thank you so much to David Lee for his candor and his storytelling and his work because his work has impacted my life for 30 years. Thank you so much to Travis for his hard work in making this thing great. I'm telling you, if we just ran, if we just put the podcast on the way it comes together, it, y'all would be like, what in the hell is this mess? Travis makes it sound wonderful. Uh, thank you to Louise Cornetta, as we say every week, who's just crazy enough to decide this was a good idea. And thank you guys, above all, for your loyalty and passion for the project. Thank you for listening. Without y'all, we couldn't do it. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next week.